This episode of the Braving Business Podcast is sponsored by, well, me. I'm PJ Benoit, and I've been in the domestic and international logistics space for over 30 years. If you need any assistance with transportation or logistics, my team and I will jump at the chance to help. Whether it be parcel shipments, e-commerce, pallets and freight, full truckload, international air and ocean, imports, exports, warehousing and distribution, or really anything under the logistics umbrella, we got you covered. For more details, please go to shipwithpj.com. That's shipwithpj.com. Reach out to me there. Mention you found me on this podcast for a special surprise. And one last quick thing. If you enjoyed this episode, please stay on after the show to learn more about the Braving Business Podcast and other great episodes for you to discover. And now, let's get the show started. there hello there I, I'm, I'm actually shocked you're wearing a t-shirt and you're in chicago mm. and i'm in florida and i'm wearing a sweater what's up with that is it warm in chicago right now um define warm for penguins it's warm um oh, it's okay. like 18 degrees it's terrible what are you talking about 18 degrees well i am wearing a sweater i'm wearing sweatpants i'm wearing thick socks and it's 64 degrees in tampa well what is that what is that you know what all you gotta do is come up here and i'll just hug you We'll just mm, we'll just share about so it. Nice. That sounds that's very kind. Wow, that was a direction Eddie, I actually didn't Eddie, even you go. Look, Eddie, you where are you? Yeah, I yeah. see a little Christmas tree in the background there. It's, you know, I'm in a, a at a condo, and you know, somebody was nice enough to uh, decorate it with a little Christmas tree. So oh. nice. That's about the size of my Christmas tree. It's like uh, I'm guessing Brown. that's somewhere in the range of 24 inches. That that sounds oh. about right. Yep, that yeah. would be my guess. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. guess. Do that. <laughs> I, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm Jewish and for, for most of my life, I didn't, I, except for one year, we didn't have a Christmas tree in, in, in the home where my ex and I raised our children. And then more recently, I'm like, why the heck not? You know? So every year I have my little two feet Christmas tree and I put on some lights and, and it's fun. You should do the menorah and the Christmas tree. Yeah, I do. I yeah. do both. Get everyone covered. PJ, you, you have a little bit of Ashkenazi Jew in you. Do you have a menorah? In your I home? do. I do not. I do not. But do not. I did, I did buy, um. I bought some uh, pajamas from uh, Old Navy that had menorahs on them for all the kids last year. So nice, you know, just for fun. That's very That's cool. Yeah, we're all well, about. Let me introduce our guest. We have a great guest today. We have a a fantastic guest today. We're very very honored to have him on, Mr. Eddie Wilson. So Eddie Wilson is an investor, a CEO, and a national speaker who is passionate about business growth, and as you'll hear today, a prodigious track record of building and running said businesses. In fact, over the course of his career, Eddie has built and run more than 120 different businesses and has exited over 90 of them successfully. That's 90, nine zero, uh, earning him the title of King of Exits. And according to moneyripples.com has made over a billion dollars investing outside of the stock market. I, I got to stop you for a second. So Eddie, you're 44, right? 44 years old. 44. Yes. And 120 different businesses means that from the age of zero, you've averaged three <laughs> businesses a year and you've sold two of them. How did you do that as a two-year-old? Yeah. I'd love what, to know What that. am I doing wrong yeah. with my life? <laughs> yes. You PJ, know, what are, it's, seriously, it's we are slackers. So, yeah. <laughs> what, what, your first one is 24, right? I, that's my first question, actually. That's yeah. <laughs> incredible. That's some track record. All right. Well, the man doesn't sleep, clearly. No. no. Well, aside from uh, you know terrible insomnia, Eddie currently runs a private equity firm called Collective Influence, the parent company of the or to the Aspire Tour, which is the nation's largest inspirational business tour, averaging over 3,000 people attending every month. People who, and I quote, know that they have greatness in them and they want to aspire for even more. Some of the hey, folks- come, I, I, I'm one of those people. I, I should go. I should attend. I haven't yet. I, I, I definitely will. You, Especially if Eddie gives us free tickets. Well, free tickets for everybody. Happy All right. Fantastic. There's, you know, we should, we sh I, I, I kid you not though, we, we do um, generally encourage our guests to give something to at least one of our uh, listeners. So maybe that's something we could do. We could include in the show notes, maybe somebody that has some inspiring story and, uh, and you give them a, you know, you give them some, a couple oh, of tickets. Yeah. Well, anyway, because yeah. there's something. Yeah, no, the, the, these, these, um, this Aspire tour is amazing, right? They, you have people who regularly speak. They're like Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank. You got Gary Vaynerchuk, Magic Johnson, Chris Carter, Kendra Scott, Bethany Frankel, Alex Rodriguez. I mean, like, 
all the stars, right? It's it's such an, an amazing lineup. He didn't uh, mention Eddie Wilson uh, speaking <laughs> on Eddie Wilson's. I mean, he does. He's he he's he speaks there. He he does quite eloquently. I hear he does. And if if you wouldn't mind, can I like get through this part? Because this is like my this is like my only time to shine is is the intro. All right. So let me. Thank you. I apologize. Thank you, brother. Carry on. So having exited many companies, Eddie is dedicated to a fair bit of his time nowadays to humanitarian work around the world. Uh, as part of that work of passion, he's the executive director of the nonprofit organization Impact Others. And then there's also Eddie, the human, the private individual who has publicly talked about experiencing some very tragic losses in his life, including, unfortunately, the loss of two siblings, which we'll touch on with a great deal of respect and gentleness as we seek to understand his perseverance and his personal resilience. Eddie, and Tal, thank you for letting me finish. Eddie, we're truly honored to have you on with us on the Braving Business Podcast. I'm honored to be here. Thank you guys for having me. <laughs> yeah, Eddie, it's, uh, it's, it's really a privilege to have you. And, um, you know, you, you have had an incredible career. And, uh, and as you mentioned, you, you started at the age of 24. Your first exit, I think, was at the age of 24. So you must have started Jeez. at 23 or earlier, right? Uh, you know, start by maybe giving us a little bit of background uh, to you and, and maybe what got you interested in entrepreneurship. And then I'd love to understand, you know, I started my first business at, at the age of 19. I, I literally blew up. It's, it's episode one of our uh, season one. Um, and I talk about the fact that I ended up being helicoptered to the hospital uh, after literally blowing up. Um, <laughs> And I, I would imagine you also had some personal challenges, some some self doubts, especially in the early days. Um, tell us how you started, and also, you know, how did you deal with those sure. in, unavoidable initial self doubts and um, and and challenges that we all face uh, as we start businesses? Absolutely. You know, I I started in the home of an entrepreneur. You know, my father and mother both have started businesses. And uh, so to me, one of the greatest gifts I've ever received is not my father passing me on some, you know, capital or something like that. It was watching a dad who was brave enough to chase his dreams and go from absolutely nothing where we were poor and had nothing and had Christmases with little uh, to finally finding success, you know. And so what what my dad did was he gave me such a uh, a gift in that he removed a lot of my fear based activity that a lot of people struggle with early in life. Like, am I good enough? Should I really step out? Should I leave my W-2 job? For me, I thought, well, what's the worst that could happen? We go back to one of the most fond days that I've ever had, which was a Christmas that we had very little. My dad spent a ton of time with me. And I think, well, if that's the worst that can happen, you know, like it really, you know, it's inconsequential in the scheme of, of life. So I grew up in the home of an entrepreneur, really from a young age, um, was, was pushed to basically chase dreams. Um, and watch my parents chase both of theirs. And so I, I really was given a blueprint for success. So um, left college, was managing TV and radio stations and um, built a television program that we ended up selling. That was actually one of my first exits. It wasn't a business. It was just a product. And then started an ad agency. And then my ad agency actually exited at 24. So it really started young, but really what it was, was it was that catalyst of having parents that really chased their dreams in front of me. Wow. And I actually, I, uh, that resonates really well with me because I kind of come from the same thing. Both of my, my dad was really an entrepreneur. My mom, uh, basically an entrepreneur growing up, uh, for me, it was more about like, I just knew what was possible. Right. Like mm -hmm. I, I just knew inside if you, if you really just work really hard and, and give your all to, to what your passions are, you know, you have a really good chance of succeeding. It's not guaranteed, but if you work your, your tail off, you can get there. So, well, what's, what's interesting at the, at the difference PJ from your story, which uh, was uh, the last episode of season one was my interview with you. And you talked a lot about what you learned from your father in the context of how to do things differently. Yeah. Well, not Your father do. was hugely successful, yes. but didn't give you a lot of time. And what I heard you say, Eddie, actually is yep. in the early days, or maybe hopefully even past that point where he started to achieve success, your father and your mother did give you time, attention, and, and encouragement. Um, how important was that to you? Uh, you know, being being able to be, being able to get that kind of support, what did it mean to you? It was huge, you know. And I think that you know, the American kind of like uh viewpoint of the home and how a dad or mom should be, um, I think sometimes is skewed. And I think that we kind of set ourselves up for failure a lot of times. When I say that my dad was present, my dad was present 
uh, in the fact that if there was something I needed, he was there and he gave me time versus just throwing money at me or throwing resources at me. My dad still got up every morning. I rarely saw him. You know, he was building businesses. And so just like all of us that have, have had to grind and build businesses, he got up at, you know, when when it was dawn and he was out the door and we never ate dinner as a family unless it was dark out again. And that's just how life was. And he didn't make it to every basketball game, football game, baseball game, soccer, like all the sports. But he made it to the ones that were important to me. And he we literally would sit down. And he would say, which ones do you want me to be there for? And he would rearrange his schedule to make sure that he was there in the important moments. And so, you know, I, I would say that there is a, there is something to be said about how he did that because I oh, I never look back at my life and think I had an absent father, even though my father was out chasing his dreams and working 12, 13, 15 hour days because I felt like when it mattered, he was there, um, you know, so... And, and again, he he always would, uh, he didn't have money in the early days to give me or things to give me to to try to like mask some of that, which I think some of us that are successful, we do. It's like, oh, well, if I buy my 16-year-old a car, that's a whole lot easier than sitting down and talking through the issues of life with him, you know? And my dad didn't have that choice. He All he had was time uh, and that was his most valuable resource. So it was it was huge for me, for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, that again, your dad uh, is basically what I'm trying to be. Right. In, yeah. in my own life now, because I learned from my dad what not to do. So that's, that's, that's amazing. Um, and, and you know, in, in my case, I, I'm going to say I was somewhere in the middle because my, my father also was an entrepreneur and, uh, and was out there chasing his dreams and likewise, um, wasn't as present, uh, in some moments of my life. And I know my dad listens to the podcast. So there's a, but dad, there's a, but coming, uh, but like your father, he, he was present in my life, um, uh, when I needed him, uh, I knew I could count on my father. Um, and, and I've aspired to be the same. And actually, you know, I've talked in this podcast and other, in other episodes about my own angst at the fact that I was out chasing my dreams and starting multiple businesses and wasn't as present for my children as I wanted to be. And my children who are now grown, my youngest is, will be 21 in a couple of weeks. Uh, my oldest is will be 30 this year. They've told me that you were there. I mean, I, we never doubted that you were there. We never doubted that you'd be there if we needed you. And, and we didn't feel that you know, uh, we lacked for your time or attention, which is hugely reassuring. And and for a lot of people listening, uh, who are maybe entrepreneurs, perhaps on at the point in time in your journey where you have young children, I'd encourage you to to make sure you have what we actually on this podcast like to call life work balance as opposed to work life balance. Make sure that you prioritize the right things first. I love that your dad asked you, when do you need me there? When do you want me to be there? What What's important to you? I think those that's the right question to ask, particularly children who are of an age where they can give you a, you know, an answer that, um, that, that you can take to the bank. They're going to tell you the truth. And, um, you know, I, I, and it ultimately you may at some point in your life, uh, regret, um, certain things. I, I, I promise you, you won't regret that you went to your kid's baseball game or your right. daughter's soccer game. Right. You won't regret that. It, it, there's nothing you will miss that will make you feel like, well, that was that just that that was more important than me making it to the game. And ultimately, I don't think it's a, it's an either or. I think you could balance those things beautifully if you pay attention and and you realize it's not just about grinding it from end to end. You have to find the time and the place for balance. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I I think that and what you've proven is that you can be successful and be human at the same time. And the fact that you've gone through all these exits, I think is, is very interesting for our audience to hear because a lot of times you think of entrepreneurship when someone says, I'm going to create my own company, I'm going to create my own, my own work, you know, for, for my career. It's normally one thing. Like I have this idea or I have the service that I want to do, or I'm going to follow and, and I'm going to put everything into it and that's it. Right. And because you've been able to go through so many different exits, I'm assuming not just all in the same career or, or the same industry or whatever. I, th I think that it's, it allows at least me as a listener to all of this to kind of step back and say, all right, there's more to, there's more to life than just this one singular business. Right. And what is the constant? It's the family. At, in, at the end of the day, it's, it's how I am present for my own children or for my spouse or whomever. And I think that it's a, um, oh, it's very interesting. So in that, since you are the king of exits, um, <laughs> which I, which I love, uh, beyond the financial success, which of course is, has been wonderful. 
what internal battles did you tend to encounter during these transitions? You're, you're building it up. You're giving your baby away. Uh, how did they shape your perspective of success? Sure. One, another gift that my dad gave me was uh, a healthy respect for time. Um, he would always say things like this, Eddie, if time is your most valuable asset, then spend more time managing your time and stop and start worrying less about your money. How often do you look at your schedule versus look at your bank account? He would constantly like put in perspective this concept of time in my life, where when I went to buy my first car, he didn't say how much was it? He said, so the dollar amount is, I, I would think it was 1800 bucks or whatever it was. And he said, and you make $5 an hour and you get 10 hours a week. So how many years of your life are you giving away to, for this asset, right? Uh, or it was a liability for sure. But uh, <laughs> anyways, it's like, uh, but and it was, and I had to, and he always would do that. And so for me, the interesting part about businesses is I, my identity was never really tied to a business, which was a, it had huge value to me because so many people get stuck into this concept. Like I am my business. This so brand true. I built is really me. Um, for me, what I was most interested was, was I could build things with exponential value and really shrink down the time period of my life. If I were willing to exit and part with that, for instance, my first business that I ran, uh, that I sold 24 was an ad agency. I made about an eight multiple on that, right? So eight times, you know, EBITDA. Uh, so if it, the way that I made that choice and, and it was easy in 24 for that to be my identity because I was making millions of dollars. So it was like, oh, this is, this is my success. Um, but when I started looking at it within the concept of time, what I realized is if, if I'm going to get an eight multiple, what that essentially means is, is I have to work the next eight years of my life doing the exact same thing, putting in the same amount of time to earn what I'm going to get in one moment of time if they stro stroke a check. And I say, my identity is not this business. And I began to have a healthy relationship with time and understand if I could build things with exponential value, that I essentially do not have to put myself into this you know, like place of running it and identifying with it, then I can actually shrink down time and get back all the time that it would take to operate the business ahead of time. So after that, and those were huge battles for me because it's like I, I very much went down the same path that everyone else did. You know, we were the agency of record for Buffalo Wild Wings for a little while. And, and you know, for me, an agency at a young age to land a big client, like that was lots of notoriety. I got to speak on stages. You know, I'm being put on stages to talk about like how you land a big client like that. And it's so easy to just like go, oh, this is this is my flag in the ground. This is who I am. So therefore, I'm, I'm going to attach to it. And when I detached from it, and I realized the freedom that came from allowing this business to go and flourish without me, and now I had eight years essentially worth of what I would have earned had I just stayed in the grind, now I could go do things that are exponentially larger. And then that became kind of the mantra of my, of my career has been build something with exponential value and shrink down that time that it takes to earn those dollars so I can go do something more meaningful than just identifying with a business. So, so on that very point, I, I know one thing you've said uh, in other interviews is what are your goals is to become irrelevant in your own businesses. Talk about that. I mean, that, that, that is definitely different than how most entrepreneurs approach their enterprise. Most entrepreneurs find the greatest amount of success when they have the highest level of relevance because then they're the producer in the business. For me, um, you know, I built an uh, operating system called Empire, and it really helps us understand that there are five phases of business. There's the startup phase, you know, there's the perseverance phase. That's kind of the pre-profit phase. You're grinding through it. There's the viability phase. Then there's six, then there's a scale. And then lastly, succession. My whole goal is to get my businesses from zero to viability as fast as possible. What true viability is, is when I have enough systems, processes, and people in place that I become irrelevant to the success of that business. Now it's truly viable. I can go on a week's vacation and my business doesn't just fall apart because I'm not there, you know? Um, and so we architect all of our businesses to get there as fast as possible. Some businesses, it takes me two years. Sometimes it takes me six months. Um, but then I can determine what I want to do with that business. Once it hits viability, I can scale it. I can sell it. I can, you know, wh whatever I want to do, but then it puts me in the right framework to actually make the next right decision. And, and that, that framework, I mean, the, the word that comes to mind for me when I hear you is 
egoless or, you know, just being able to keep your ego in check. When did you learn that? I mean, is that, was that just naturally your disposition or, or did you get there after experiencing some, as I did, frankly, moments where, you know, your master of the universe routine just wore out and, and, or you wore out. Yeah. I was like every other, you know, 19, 20, 21 year old felt like the world revolved around me, felt like all my success was due to my own hard work, innovation, brain, whatever it was. And, um, my first exit at 24, I thought I've got this all, I've got it lined up. I know what I'm doing. I'm good. I'm about to walk away with a couple of million dollars in my pocket. Um, this is good. And, um, was taken advantage of, I made money, made good money. Um, but was taken advantage of by a bunch of corporate, the the world's largest ad agency bought my ad agency of which I didn't know they were the purchaser because I thought they were lending me money so I could go take down another big client and I needed, I needed capital. And then it was veiled that when we got there to the signing table, they basically said, here's the deal. We're going to buy your agency today. And I said, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm building it. I'm trying to land this other client. Then I'll potentially sell it within a year or two. And they said, no, we're actually the ones that are funding your deal through this other entity. We're cutting off all funding. You're going to be screwed. All the promises you just made is going to topple this entire thing. And so we're going to dictate your price. And they basically gave me 24 hours to decide, do, am, I, am I going to fight or am I going to walk away? Um, at that point, that's when you really realize, like, number one, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm way over my head. Number two that if this business is so desirable and I'm not the desirable piece, like I thought I was, I thought there's no way they could do this without me. I'm the kingpin of this thing, you know? Um, If they think that what I have is actually better without me um, and they're willing to pay for it and do all of this, then I must have the wrong relationship or understanding of who I am in this equation. Um, that was a huge, that was 24 years old. Everything changed for me in that moment. I actually went through a extreme period of depression, you know, because it was, it wasn't my plan. You know, like I was planning to exit, but I wasn't planning to exit like that. And so when you realize that there are, there are smarter people out there that have better game than you do, that understand the world at a deeper level than you do, all of a sudden, like you said, your superhero routine really goes away. <clears throat> I, I can relate to that. Uh, sorry to jump in front of you there, PJ, but I, yeah. I, I've been there too. Um, and, you know, not to name names, and, um, but I, I raised tens of millions of dollars in, in debt. Uh, I had a certain mindset for how that would play out. It played out very differently. And, and I absolutely learned that there were people that played the game at a, you know, they, they played four-dimensional chess and I was playing two-dimensional chess thinking I was playing three-dimensional chess. <laughs> so there, there's a whole lot of education that comes out of you know, encountering people that, and I'm not knocking them, uh, are playing this game at a whole different level. Um, and if you're fortunate enough as an entrepreneur, as, as I was, to build a business that was valuable enough and interesting enough for those people to be attracted to it, and you yourself are either not yet mature enough, don't have the humility, and don't have the advice, quite frankly, around you, uh, you might get taken. Um you know, and it's fortunate for you that you were able to par- parlay that into into success. For a lot of entrepreneurs, that may be their singular moment. And I would encourage you, if you happen to have a business that's compelling enough for you to get interest from meaningful sources, I don't want to say lawyer up, but I would say make sure you have the right advisors around you yeah. so that you don't just step in it um, and, and and lose a great opportunity to take care of your family. That and, and, you know, just one more piece of advice on top of that is like, but also we're all going to get taken advantage of at some point. We're all going to get our teeth kicked in. And to me, that singular moment you just talked about is really a fork in the road. And it's either and it becomes either this crazy ceiling that so many entrepreneurs put over their head and they just they they always bump against it the rest of their life or because because they're the center of the universe or they realize like, oh, there's a different game over here that I'm not even, I, I don't know. And I'm going to go learn that game. That was, that was what happened to me. The fork in the road went, okay, I'm never going down this path again. I will become, I will become more knowledgeable about MA than any other person on the planet. Like I'm diving in. And that's really where I ended up building my, my empire, empire operating system was because I also wanted to know the ins and outs of the operational structure of business at a level that no one else 
was operating. And so I was, it, it put me into this place of like extreme humility of like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to go figure out how to get it done. I'm, uh, first of all, Tal, thank you for setting the, the settings on zoom to only highlight the speaker because the entire time that Eddie's been talking, my mouth has been open, like just, I thought you were trying flies. to catch flies. I, I, wasn't I, sure I, I was, I was, this is so, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a little bit mind blown, uh, just because I've, I, I have gone through all this except, you know, you guys were, were able to, uh, recover well. I rode, you know, I rode my, as, as you heard, I'd ridden my company way up and then I rode it all the way down, right? Because my ego couldn't, I couldn't separate it. I couldn't, I was that company. And so when it, when it failed or when it closed, eventually, or when it eventually closed, it, it was devastating. Like, and it was very, very hard to get back on the feet to try to fight another day and, and even, you know, look at something entrepreneurial versus I'm just going to go work for the big daddies and, and, you know, live the rest of my life. So at 24 to be able to step back and have the, the, the emotional intelligence and the self, uh, perception to sit there and go, okay, wait a minute, maybe this is just business. This isn't me wrapped up in this. Uh, kudos, huge kudos. It's, it's amazing. I think that's awesome. I just feel blessed to, to have taken that path. Cause I have so many friends and, you know, people that are around me that are still stuck in that ceiling, you know, they're hitting it every single day. Oh, I hit it. I got dents in my head. <laughs> um, so look to the little, little switch here. We know that, um, and, you know, we, we kind of touched on it earlier. You unfortunately had lost uh, personally, two siblings, which can only, um, I can't even fathom that. So first of all, condol or new all condolences to you, but without prying too much into this, can you share how personal loss has influenced you, your approach to life, your approach to business, how it, how it shaped you on this journey? Yeah. Yeah. I don't mind diving into that. I, I think that our traumas and our losses shape us uh, in a way that nothing else can, you know, um, again, I owe so much to my parents because it, it wasn't like I didn't have a guide that taught me how to go through those losses. My parents were amazing. And, you know, as hard as it was to lose siblings, I lost my sister. And then later on in life, my brother, um, to lose two children, I, I can't, I can't even fathom, you know, like having children of my own now, I, I don't know how my parents did it. Um, but they were always in a place where my, my mother would constantly bring me to a place of gratitude and she would. And so instead of me focusing on loss, she always helped me focus on what it was that I gained. What did I gain from the experience of my sister? What, what were my favorite memories? I would sit there and I'd cry and I'd struggle. And my mom would say, well, let, let's talk about what, what was some of the favorite times that you had with Rebecca. And she, you know, she just always taught me this like sense of gratitude for what I had gained versus focusing on what I had lost. And that shapes you, you know, that shapes you at a young age and it, and it really never leaves you. And I've heard this quote that for someone to do something significantly, they have to be hurt in a, in a major way, like that most people that do something of great significance, there's a lot of baggage, there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of pain that really steers them in that, in that area of greatness. And my parents helped me identify that. And so they almost set an expectation for me, you know, it was like, Hey, you've gone through this, don't waste it, you know, like take this and help, help it, you know, let it propel you somewhere. And, um, for, for someone you know, one of the most difficult things, especially as a, a, a male, right, is to deal with emotions and help your children deal with their emotions. You know, like I like just avoiding emotions, right? Like it's so much easier. But the fact that my parents had enough, you know, emotional intelligence to help me deal with them in a way that actually became a benefit to me later in life is is amazing. You know, like I, I feel so grateful today for for that experience because, you know, I in every other loss and nothing is, is, you know, there's, there's no greater loss than the loss of a loved one. And so anything that I've ever lost in my life past that moment, it's so easy for me to go back and go, okay, what did I gain? Right? Like it's why I think at 24, when I was taken advantage of to the tune of tens of millions of dollars that I didn't sit there for 24 hours and go, I can't believe I lost all, oh, this is all that I lost. I remember 
looking back like okay what did i gain what did i learn you know it was like and with a sense of gratitude and um so that that really has shaped me that's been a, a monumental moment in my life and uh on, on another podcast i was asked if i could go back to one moment in time in my entire life what moment would i pick and i and i said i said i would go back to the moment where I was standing at my sister's funeral and I would have processed what my parents taught me down the road in that moment because it became such a catalyst for everything in my life. You know, like I would have grieved, I would have, I would have, you know, felt the loss, but I also would have processed faster because it became such a, a blessing, uh, that, uh, that shaped me for sure. Well, and she's probably that resonates. Sure. Yeah, that, that resonates so much. Um, I, I, I think about conversations we've had um, on the podcast, including some thoughts I've shared about the need to reframe moments in our lives that absolutely, uh, you know, challenge our very, you know, understanding of, of the meaning of life. Um, oftentimes they bring us to our knees or worse. And in those moments, a lot of people become victims. And I think that what separates those who have managed to rise and achieve, and by achievement, I don't just mean success professionally, I also mean just live life in a meaningful way, is that they refuse to stay down. Uh, that there is this, there is this drive, there's this inner voice. And in your case, uh, you were extremely fortunate to have parents that maybe showed you the way. A lot, a lot of people, including frankly myself, didn't quite have that. And needed to learn that ourselves. Um, but those those moments, when you are on the other side of them, it, at the moment that you're in them, it's extremely hard uh, to see past where you are. But when you are on the other side of them, you realize invariably that you are who you are. And you're a better position to live life to the fullest because those moments occurred. Um, and the ability to reframe it and say, okay, this happened to me or this happened in my life, maybe as opposed to thinking it happened to me, thinking about it as happening, um, it, it's, it's, it's happening for me. Um, and, and yes, there's a degree of that that's kind of selfish. It's certainly, you know, no one's sibling passes so that they learn a lesson. But if that has happened, I'm sure what your parents wanted you to do, and I'm sure that's what you'd want your children to do. Make the most out of where you are and aspire to make whoever it was that didn't get to experience life to the fullest, be proud of who you became. And I, I think that's, you know, that's something I've shared. I think other other guests have shared. I can tell by your facial expressions that you you agree. Tell me, how, how do you how do you help people learn that? Right, because you know you're starting a lot of businesses. I, I just by the sheer fact that you seek to be irrelevant, which I think is a beautiful thing. Uh, by the way, irrelevance doesn't mean you don't add value. It just means you are not the cog that makes the machine go. You're not the okay? one holding everything up. That's right. How do you teach people perspective, and how do you? How do you convey to people that you're? You, this is not just about how many widgets you sell or how many phone calls you make. Yeah, I want to hit two things right there, real quick. One, I do want to be significant in my business, but I don't want to be relevant, right? Like I constantly teach, and so like you know, the question I get asked all the time is, "How did you run?" I, I had at one point eighty six companies all running concurrently. And I had 86 CEOs that essentially were like, and my job was to be a data analyst at the top and a cheerleader and a guide to help these 86 CEOs to get past their own ceilings. Um, you know, we sold 76 of those companies in one year in 2019. But my job was to get to a place of irrelevance, but significance. I think you'd go back to all those, you know, men, women, you know, that were leading those organizations and they would tell you how significant I was. But I think that they would point out that the only way that it succeeded was is irrelevance. Um, but to go back to your, you know, your question, and that is, is how do you teach someone that? Um, and I don't know that it's as easily taught as, as it is experienced um, and being prepared for the experience. You know, it's like someone listening to the podcast today, um, 
they have to look back on their previous experience and go, okay, maybe I could have handled that differently. And you have to prepare for that next moment that you feel or suffer loss or, or, you know, betrayal or deceit or whatever it is. Like you're going, you're going to feel those negative feelings. And, and if you can purpose in your heart, you know, if you can get to a place mentally where you just like, and I think you said it very well, where I'm focused on all of these things are happening for me. They're not happening to me. Um, I read a great book um, by a Jesuit priest uh, for in, in the 1800s. He was an Indian Jesuit priest, and it's a book called Awareness by Anthony DeMello. And what he talks about is all attachments actually bring some level of pain or they bring some level of pleasure. But the attachment can be the exact same thing. And our attachment to the experiences we've had either bring pain or they bring pleasure, but we actually get to make the choice as to how those things attach to us, right? And and I think that that's what it is. It's so hard to go back and relive the past and redo all the mental, you know, gymnastics that you went through when you suffered loss or some problem. But you can take that as a starting point and go, okay, I'm not going to act that way anymore. What I'm going to do is look at life as to why these things are happening and they're happening for me, not to me. And next time I'm going to process it with that in mind. Yeah, no, totally. I also, uh, DeMillo, I went to Marquette university to find Jesuit institution. So I, fo- I fully hear you brother. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. I-, I went to the university of Maryland where, uh, the year I was a freshman, we won playboy party school of the year <laughs> Good for you. So there, there, you're hey, huh? your, your yeah, contribution was noted. so um wow first of all this has just been uh, again mouth agape the entire time this has been amazing so thank you for for sharing so much your creating impact others creating impact for others is a substantial humanitarian step right another thing that i love like being successful is being successful but how do you help others, right? How do you how do you broaden that reach? And so, what personal aspirations drive your commitment to this particular cause, and how has this worked work impacted you on a personal level? Yeah, you've heard of uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Where you know you're going from you know this base need all the way up to self actualization. For me, I feel like I have my own kind of pyramid, and that is uh, number one: it's time. And if I can control my time, time ends up yielding wealth. Wealth isn't just about means or money. Wealth is about having enough for today without diminishing what I have for tomorrow. And then it puts me in a place where then I can achieve something greater, which to me is purpose, time, wealth, purpose. Purpose um, came at a place where I had more money than I knew what to do with, um, and yet no fulfillment, no joy, no happiness. Like it's possible to get to a place where cars, houses, money, whatever it is, still makes you feel empty, alone, uh, depressed, frustrated. I've been depressed uh, deeply twice in my life. One was after the selling of my first company. And number two, it was after my greatest successes, right? Like and it's loss. And again, it goes back to that attachment thing. It's like you, it's all in how we perceive those things that are happening for us. And, you know, I got to that place where I realized like, okay, there's no amount of money. There's no amount of toys. There's no amount of things that are going to ever make me happy. There's still a massive void. I need to do something different and um, really got onto this place, this quest of like, what is purpose? What, like, wh- what is going to bring me fulfillment? And for me, and I think that it can be different for everyone. Uh, but the, that place of purpose for me was about making impact on other people's lives that that they couldn't impact them themselves. You know, like there was no way out for them. Um, you know, I, I it's not that I don't want to help um, a lot of the people that are here in the U.S. But I look at the U.S. and I think, man, if you can't make it in the U.S., right, like this is the greatest country. There's so much opportunity. And so I would never like look down at someone who struggles here in the U.S. But when I go into a third world country and I see an orphan who has no parent, who has no way to fend for themselves, who has no way to uh, to earn money, to generate income, to get food, like that's a different level. And for me, um, I visited an orphanage uh, years ago, realized that we can make an impact there, began to serve and make impact there by giving and decided we got to go deeper. 
And so now Impact Others We Created really has four pillars. It's um, it's housing orphans, uh, feeding, educating, housing orphans. We have feeding centers that feed and educate. We feed about 4,000 children a day right now in uh, 19 different countries. Um, and really, we we edu- it's not just about feeding them. It's about educating them. It's about giving them a path forward. Um, we have found so many places around the world that lack clean water and so many places where we're serving and helping that they have to walk two miles to a river that they don't even know how to boil their own water. It's like, it's crazy stuff. And we, we've dug, dug, I think, uh, 17 or 18 wells this year. Um, and some of these villages have, you know, people have been in these villages for 2000 years. They've never had clean water. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's mind blowing. And for three or $4,000, 200 feet below, below the surface, there's clean water. It's, it's crazy. So, we do that. And then lastly, we build sustainable businesses. So one thing that I always realize is like my vision is always always outpaces my ability to resource it. And so you can have a billion dollar exit and still find yourself helpless to solve the problems that are in front of you. And um, and so what we started doing is building businesses that are sustainable. Uh, we've built 14 of them now where we actually like teach, we educate, we gainfully employ, we teach them a skill set, we take that capital, we pay them, help them earn a living, we take all the profit, we don't do it as like a micro loan where they have to repay. What they have to do is they give a percentage of it then to that community to serve the children, feed and educate the children. And so we're building these sustainable kind of ecosystems. Um, we've done it 14 times now in the last four years, and uh, we've got six or seven on the horizon. And that has given me a level of purpose and meaning uh, that is filled a void that I never understood how to fill, uh, that I'd rather just do that than anything else. But the crazy part is, is, you know, the reason we started the Aspire Tour was because I wanted to inspire people who were aspiring for something great, but didn't know that once they got to that end point, that if they still, if they get exactly where they want to go, but they don't add an element of purpose in their life, they're still going to be empty. And so for every Aspire Tour that we kick off, and if it's O'Leary or Vaynerchuk or Magic Johns, whoever, I always start off the morning with, if I teach you something today or you get something and you end up a step closer, whatever it is that you desire, and you don't anchor it in some level of purpose, it will still lead to a lack of fulfillment and and, and struggle. And, um, and so that is a huge part of who I am. It's who, why I built this last private equity firm is just really to, to create more impact in the world. Wow. It's, it's wonderful. And I, I, you know, it's inspiring. Um, I, I, as I, as I think about, um, you know, what you just shared, purpose is, is beautiful, but I, I think one more thing that you're doing that, um, anyone who's been fortunate enough to have success should consider doing is sharing your knowledge and paying it forward. Um, and sure it's, it's amazing that you're doing what you're doing in places around the world where your impact the force multiplier of your impact when you, you know, when you, when you dig a well, uh, is, is it's hard to put any value to it. It's invaluable, literally. Um, but what, what you're able to do in, uh, whether it's with the aspire tour or talking to us and reaching thousands of people through us is give people a different way to think about success. Uh, and, and that's, that's what, as I, as I'm listening to you today, I find myself repeatedly coming back to this man is rooted in principles. Some of them were hard earned. Many of them probably took years of, you know, uh, figuring out to get to a place where you could do them and rinse and repeat. And now you're sharing it and it's a beautiful thing. Um, Tell me a little, I mean, I want to understand vulnerability with you, right? So, I mean, it's really, it's, it's, you're so, um, in every respect, right? For those of you watching this on video, you can see Eddie, who's 44, looks like he's extremely fit, um, in, in great shape, young man. But there have been moments of struggle. There, there's been that depression that you've talked about. How do you, de- I mean, and those moments of vulnerability are not gone. They, they come back. We we all have them, right? I mean, I, I still occasionally have moments where I deal with imposter syndrome. It, it's It just comes. I, I don't know that it ever will go away entirely. How do you deal with moments of vulnerability? What do you do when, despite who you are, despite all you've accomplished, you're like, man, do I, do I even know what I'm talking about? Do I, am, am I the right person to give this advice or do this thing? I mean, do those moments still happen for you? And, and how do you deal with them? Yeah, they happen all the time. Um, I, 
I shot a video, I think the last Aspire tour, and I was about to, they're about to call me on stage. You got a couple thousand people out there and um, you're supposed to give them these like nuggets of truth and wisdom. And I had this moment, like they were shooting a video and I, I was like, hey guys, you know what? I actually hate speaking. <laughs> like, I, I don't even want to go out there on the stage. You know, it's like, <laughs> because I get that, that imposter syndrome too. You know, it's like, no matter who we are, um, it, if, if, if you, if you let go of ego, you realize that so little of what you have and what you have accomplished has anything to do with you. You know, like I, that's why I always talk so heavily about my parents, you know, like in, in my perspective, you know, from my perspective, they're perfect people, but they're certainly not perfect people. There's probably lots of people line up and say they're not perfect, you know? Um, but you know, for me, um, I think if I, if I stay rooted in the blessings of what I've been given and the opportunities that I've been given without ever kind of like t attaching who I am to those blessings and opportunities where it's not about Eddie, Eddie didn't do it, then it's a whole lot easier for me to be very candid and open and, and live in the reality. Like, yes, I, I did have a billion dollar exit. Yes, we do have all these amazing things we do have. But for me, it's like, I feel very blessed and I feel like I come from a place of gratitude and I think it keeps me centered where I don't, you know, the, the moment I stand on the stage and I, and if, if I believe, and we've all been there, we've all watched the people on stage that they believe in their heart that they are supposed to be there, that there was something that they intrinsically did better than any other human on the planet. And they deserve that moment. And for me, I just never want to get there, you know, because I think you lose influence in those moments. Um, you, people will follow, you know, but I think that there's really different types of leadership. You know, you've got leaders, you know, you got people like followers that are just predisposed to following leaders. Like somebody stands up and says, let's go. A bunch of people just go with them. But I want to be a leader of leaders. I, I want to I want to let go of ego and help. And what I know is after managing those 86 CEOs, the more I made it less about me and more about them, the more influence I had and the more they would listen and let me guide them. I didn't hire a bunch of hacks. You know, like I hired some seriously, you know, rock star operators and individuals to run these companies. And so if I'd let go of my own ego, let sometimes their ego shine then I would have more influence than they ever would, you know? And, and to me, that's the greatest lesson. And so I try to carry that with me on stage or on podcast or wherever I go, because I, I am just truly blessed. And I sit here in a, in a place of gratitude um, because I just, I'm, I'm one of those people that just took advantage of the opportunity that was given to me, you know? Um, I'm not special. I didn't do anything to earn it. I just took advantage of it, you know? And I'm super blessed to have it. Amazing. 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 I, I, first of all, the, the, the fact that you have been able to create something so impactful, but also, you know, and, and as Tal mentioned, paying it forward, but then also creating a, a pay it forward flywheel in, in a way that it's, it's self-perpetuating. I think it's brilliant and I am so jealous. I didn't think of it first, but awesome. Right. Like really just, just amazing. I, Tal, I don't know about you, but this has been um, this has been an amazing conversation. It, I, I don't think I've been this affected in quite a while. So this is this is awesome. Um, it's a slight change. As you uh, you know, we've we've learned about you in um, in our in our pre podcast uh, uh, learnings. In that you love to race cars. You are a, uh, a person who's explored the world on a motorcycle. Um, very cool. Very, very cool. How have these adrenaline fueled hobbies provided you with some insights or metaphors or like, you know, burned off some steam? Like what has it done for you, uh, helping you with your, with your, uh, with your career? My youngest brother. So uh, the two siblings that passed away were this, were the middle ones. And so my youngest brother, Levi, and I have kind of purposed uh, together that you never really can, uh, count on tomorrow. So you better experience today with complete fullness. Sure. And, um, you know, that comes at, at, from the loss of, of siblings. But, um, for me, it's like, uh, I love, I love cars. He and I both love cars. We both drive fast cars. We love to race. Um, I love sitting, there's nothing more energizing than sitting behind the wheel of a race car and, and seeing if you're better than the next guy sitting next to you. 
um, riding motorcycles or whatever it is. Like, I just want to go into life with a passion. And the thing is, is I think sometimes when we resist those passions, um, uh, we begin to like, um, it's like passions create peaks. And sometimes when we try to like limit those peaks, what it does, it limits all the other peaks in our life. And I think chasing passions like racing cars or driving motorcycles or going to a hundred countries to try coffee, you know, like all the weird stuff that I've done. It's like, what it does is it also like creates those peaks in my business uh, as well. It's like, and sometimes it's like when you limit one thing, your passions, your zeal, your desire, you end up unintentionally limiting other things. And so for me, chasing, you know, whatever that is to the fullest every single day comes out in business or racing cars or motorcycles or whatever it is. Um, and, and that's, I think the metaphor, right. Is like to, to, to sometimes live unbridled so that in other areas where it serves you well, you can also live unbridled. You know, you know, what's, what's interesting to me about that. And I, uh, I, I agree. I could cry. I think about my brother, um, when we, you know, when we started the company that was the biggest of the companies that he and I co-founded and we raised a significant amount of money. One of our investors, my, my brother was learning how to fly. And one of our investors added a clause to the, the deal that said my brother could not fly, hmm. which crushed him. Uh, but he never gave up on it. And, you know, when we got out, when we exited the business, the first thing he did was pick that back up. Okay. And so maybe one, one takeaway for me from what you've just shared is that Sure, there's something about, you know, these adrenaline-fueled, some may even say testosterone-fueled, I don't know, uh, endeavors that invites, mm, I don't know, I don't, the, invites potential disaster. Sure. But shit, so does being in business, okay? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's part and parcel of the experience of entrepreneurship that you're you're going to sometimes just look fear straight in the eye and say, pardon my French, but F you, I got you covered. I'm bigger and stronger than you. And it's, yeah. it's part of the success factor for people that go for broke. Um, now, there's a fine line. Fine. Um, you know, I, Hopefully, when you ride a motorcycle, you wear a helmet, right? I mean, there, there are certain precautions that you take. You race a car, you probably have the right the harness and, and, and you probably make sure the brakes are all right. So I'm not suggesting anyone should just, you know, piss caution to the wind. That's not at all what I'm advocating for. But I do think that if in your nature, risk-taking is part of who you are and, and you, you push the brakes on that a little too much, pump the brakes on that a little too much, I think you're denying yourself the opportunity to grow, not just in those areas, but also overall. And in ways that might materially impact what you end up accomplishing professionally. Does that resonate with you, Eddie? Do you agree? hundred percent agree. I think you said exactly what I was trying to say, but better. I, I, I enjoyed your take on it. And one of the big things that we do in our companies is uh, an interview question I ask all the time is I say, tell me about one time in life where you've won anything, a spelling bee, a, because what I'm trying to get to is like, what is the peak? Like what, what is going to drive you? What attachment do you have to these things? You know? And it's like, Winning is such a big deal. And so we have relationships with all these like emotional experiences in our life, whether it's chasing, you know, racing cars or winning, whatever it is. It's like, and to our to the degree that we have attachments to these emotional experiences, you kind of can predict outcomes in other areas of people's lives. Wow. <laughs> I, I I'm gonna need a nap after this, I think. I've uh <laughs> I've learned so much. This is this is really incredible. Um all right, to, to round all this out, and thank you for sharing all that again. Um, to round all this out, reflecting on your own path and your own motto, which is many build a business, but few build an empire. What's the single best piece of advice you could give someone who's just starting out their entrepreneurial journey um, and who inspires or who aspires not only just to build a business, but an empire? Yeah. One single piece of advice is very, very difficult, but the, one <laughs> that, but the one that served me best is that whatever I believe about myself is always untrue and that 
I have to push beyond what I believe about myself. You know, we get into these places of self-limiting beliefs and I have to recognize them for what they are. If I believe that I'm going to, you know, if I believe that I'm going to be capped at a billion dollar business, I'm going to be capped at a billion dollar business, you know, like, and I have to get to a healthy relationship with my own beliefs about myself. Um, as we've coached, you know, my empire program, we've coached 3000 businesses. I've like got coaches everywhere. They're out coaching. And when I coach our coaches, and I talk to our coaches about how to deal with businesses or business problems. I always say, you know, that 90% of all business problems are the actual founder, owner, creator, manager, right? Like, so you can focus on the processes and systems as much as you want, but if the problem still lies with the founder, you know, creator, manager, and you're not dealing with those, you're never going to really solve the business problem. And so for that person that's sitting there listening to this today, they, they need to write them down. They need to determine like, what are my beliefs about myself and, and stop believing those beliefs, right? Like, like take, take the credibility out of them because what I believe about myself is never true. You know, what, what I think of when I hear you say that is a sentence that I I'd heard. I don't know. It's attributable to someone. I don't know what it is, but uh, I don't know who it is, but the statement is I'm both a masterpiece and a work in progress at the same time. And there's, there's no inconsistency in that. Yeah. Um, and you know, that, that takes some reflection, uh, to appreciate what quite that, what that means. And I, I would be honest and say it took me, gosh, I'll be 50 in a couple of weeks. I, by the time this plays, I'll, I'll have turned 50. Um, I don't know that I fully appreciated that until just a few years ago. Um, and if if what we do with this podcast is is help some people get there sooner, then I will have accomplished my goal, which is helping people realize that you you don't need to think that anyone expects you to be perfect. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's not only okay, it's going to help you. It's going to make you a better everything, a better boss, a better uh, you know a, a better partner, um, a better investment for someone to to risk, take a risk at. Um, people should not fear vulnerability. People should not fear admitting that they are not everything they can be yet. And will probably never be that. But that they are aspiring to be a better version. Better today, a little bit better tomorrow, and yet a little bit better the day after that. Um, if you live your life that way, look, you know, life's very much of a two steps forward, one step back. And sometimes it's one step forward, three steps back, half a step forward. It's okay. So long as you realize that no matter where you are at that moment in time, there, there are paths that you could take that are going to lead you forward. And that to the extent possible, if you're around people that you can influence towards being a better version of themselves, whether they are young and just getting started, or even people that are late in their careers and late in life, because we we can learn at all times, at all points. Um, you're going to feel a little bit better about you and about life uh, than you did, you know, when you woke up this morning, if, if you did a little bit more of that today. Um, you know, and I think, Eddie, as I think about you, I think I think you embody that. Um, you know, I, I didn't know you, and now I, without, you know, blowing smoke up your ass, I can see why you've been successful. Um, you know, you, you radiate the things that draw people to you. Uh, you are so, I mean, you're, you're clearly very knowledgeable and, um, and, and you have a lot of wisdom to share, but you exude humility. Um, and the other thing you exude is kindness. And, and, and I, I gotta say of all the things and all the skills and of all the most wonderful traits I've ever met, the trait that time and time again I find myself drawn to is kindness. Kind people rock. People who are not kind, doesn't matter how smart they are or how accomplished they are, I don't want any part of. Yeah. And the older I get, the more the more that is my North Star. So Eddie, I'm, I feel privileged to have met you. Uh, I think you've shared incredible wisdom uh, with our audience. Um, if, if someone in our audience would like to, uh, take part in an Aspire tour event, where would they go to, to find Aspire tour? They go to aspiretour.com or they could go to my social. If you go to any of the Eddie uh, Wilson official social, you know, Instagram, whatever, just hit me up. My team will, will help them out and, uh, love to give some VIP tickets away, maybe on the show. Uh, we, we 
I'll have my assistant reach out and kind of share how to do that. That'd be Love amazing. It. Love it. That'd be amazing. Also, I'd be remiss not to say, um, if you ever find your, cause now that we're best buds, not now I feel we're best buds. Um, if you ever find yourself at a point where you're like really depressed because you just made a lot of money, if you wanted to send that over to me to hold for you, I'd be happy to be that, 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 that safe spot for you. Get that offer all the time, DJ. <laughs> I'm shocked. I, I, I can't imagine why you would. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie Wilson, thank you so much for being our guest today. Uh, we, we'd love to have you back. I think uh, you think I, I'm, I'm certain that this will be an episode that we'll get a lot of feedback on, a lot of reaction. Uh, and if we get questions uh, that you know we think uh, merit, um, you know uh, your wisdom, we'll, we'll send them directly to you. But we'd love to have you back um, to share more of 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 what you've shared and um, uh, I, I just feel very grateful uh, to have spent some time with you today. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that's a wrap folks. Like what you heard, want to support the show, please follow our page on LinkedIn and Facebook, visit us on YouTube and please like, and rate us on all of your favorite podcast streaming services. You can also see exclusive content, subscribe for free to our weekly blog, support our sponsors and soon buy our merchandise at www.bravingbusiness.com. Thanks for being a part of our production and we'll see you next time on the Braving Business Podcast. Mm-hmm.